Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 3. I've titled today's study, Gospel Sharing Essentials, and you'll see why as we read through the text. Peter is about to give what is recognized as his second recorded sermon, and it is nothing short of awesome. Now granted, this is the third time we see in the book of Acts that he has stood up and spectacularly spoken Scripture into the situation of the moment. He did it once in chapter 1, we have it recorded again in chapter 2, and now in chapter 3. And this third time comes on the tail end of the miraculous healing of the lame man in the first part of chapter 3. Of course, that's what we studied a couple weeks ago, the Sunday before Mother's Day. And that's where we get Peter's famous quote, I do not have silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And we know that that man, that lame man, instantly leaped and walked and praised God. And, and what do we learn from that account? There in chapter, in chapter, first part of chapter 3 here, we learned a lot of lame mistakes for believers to avoid. Things like failing to pray. Things like expecting too little of God. Things like missing opportunities to praise God before others. And then there was the mistake of giving men credit for what only God could do. When that fellow was healed, Peter basically said, don't look at me, I didn't do it. So let's pick up right there with today's text. We're in Acts chapter 3, and let's begin in verse 11. Acts 3.11 says, While he was clinging to Peter and John, that is the man who was just healed, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. 
And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, it is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up His servant and sent Him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. We'll stop our reading there. Can you imagine being there and hearing that sermon immediately after seeing the, the lame man miraculously healed? I think my head would just be spinning, especially if I were a Jew. These Jews must have been on major information overload. The miracle was incredible enough, but, but now we're hearing that this man Jesus... And yes, everyone knew who Jesus was. This man Jesus was just recently crucified, and now we're hearing that he's actually alive and was indeed the Messiah. And I'm guilty of his crucifixion, but there's salvation to be had? Wait a minute, what does that mean for Moses' law and everything that I have devoted my whole life to? How can this possibly all fit together? Now jump forward 2,000 years. What does this mean for us? Now before we dive into this text, I want to quickly highlight three rules for Bible interpretation. You hear me touch on these from time to time, and of course there are more than three. But here are three that I want to draw our attention to specifically in relation to what we just read. The first is identify literature type. When you study the Bible, make sure you know what type of literature you're reading, what genre. And of course, many of you understand this. The book of Acts is what? It's historical narrative. It's a record of events. So we need to understand that unless explicitly stated, it's not necessarily a record of command. It's not saying, this is what you're supposed to do. On the, on the contrary, it's saying, this is what they did. Good or bad, this is what they did. This is what God did. Historical narrative is the facts. And again, whether or not that's what we're supposed to do 2,000 years later is up for discussion and study. But keep in mind, when we say historical narrative, when it comes to Scripture, we are referring to Holy Spirit-inspired, inerrant, theological, historical narrative. This isn't just another good book of history facts to, to, to factor in to whatever you decide to believe about spiritual things. No, it's far more than that. This is the Word of God recording history. So interpretation rule number two, identify audience. In this case, who is Peter primarily speaking to? He's speaking primarily to the Jews. How do we know this? Well, verse 11 tells us location. And where were Peter and John at this moment? They're at the temple, specifically Solomon's portico or Solomon's porch. This is a colonnade. Likely, this is not far from which gate? Was it the pretty gate, the ugly gate, or the beautiful gate? 
Now, of course, you remember, it's the beautiful gate that they are at. Peter and John were about to enter the temple at this specific gate when Peter instead stepped out onto Solomon's porch. You can just picture the tall rising columns that go up to the roof. Historian Josephus says that they were about 40 feet tall with a double set of columns running the length of the colonnade. This was a good public place to give a speech. We see in chapter 5, verse 13, it records that many signs and wonders and teachings took place at Solomon's porch. It was well suited for interaction and for discussion. And it's especially worth noting in John chapter 10, verse 23, that even Jesus had taught and mingled in this exact place. We also know that Peter was speaking primarily to the Jews because of the speech he gave. The speech reveals the intended audience. But it's also likely that Gentiles were present. How do we know this? Well, this is where a little more background research, a little more historical research does us good. We find that Paul, Solomon's porch was also located at the court of the Gentiles. So undoubtedly, Gentiles would be here listening as well. All of this is fascinating and it helps us to better connect with the text. So lastly, Bible interpretation rule number three, discern application. We have to be careful with application, especially when it comes to historical narrative. For example, just because Peter said these things to the Jews, does that mean that all Christians are supposed to say the exact same things to all people at all times? Well, of course, that would be inaccurate application. It's worth noting that had Peter been speaking primarily to the Gentiles, surely he would have changed certain elements of his speech. So as we discern application, particularly in historical narrative, we can't make the sweeping judgment, and this is a mistake that is often made, we can't make the sweeping judgment that everyone should do what we just read. Think to other examples. We don't all fight our enemies with five stones. What's another example? We don't jump out of the boat into stormy waters hoping that that will calm the seas. And a question for all the kids that are watching. What two men in the Old Testament did I just refer to? Of course, the five stones refer to David. David and his fighting that wicked giant, Goliath. There was also the man who jumped out of the boat in a terrible storm. Who was I referring to there? Jonah. When he was disobeying God and trying to run from God, God sent that stormy sea. But similarly, here in Acts 3, just because Peter says something, it doesn't necessarily mean we should say it or say it exactly like he did. That's possible, but not certain. Instead, we need to identify principles and behaviors and attitudes that we know to be relevant and applicable for us today. Those will be affirmed by other Scriptures as well. And indeed, a lot of what we just read is applicable today. So there are three essential rules for good Bible interpretation. Identify, literature type, audience, and application for today. But what do we know right out the gate? 
in regards to every Bible passage, we know this to always be true. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So regardless of literature type, regardless of audience, regardless, regardless of those historical details, we know that there is application for us. There is some lesson or lessons that we need to learn. There is something critical that we need to know and shape our lives according to. Remember, God wastes no words in Scripture. And so we ask the question, Lord, how does this text change the way I think and live? Let's pray and we'll ask God for that very wisdom. Heavenly Father, we look forward to what You have to teach us today. We look forward to the ways that You have to inspire us. The ways You're going to educate us. The ways You're going to correct our thoughts and give us better, truer thoughts. We pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open to learning from You. Help us to set aside our own wisdom, our own conclusions, and fully embrace the Word of God and the truths that Your Spirit reveals to us. It is with great anticipation that we look forward to You giving us the truths of Your amazing Word. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so now we're going to walk back through Peter's sermon. We are going to identify 12 gospel-sharing essentials. Remember, the sermon Peter just gave was an impromptu sermon. This was not expected. I marvel at how quick and ready Peter is with the Word of God. Do you think he just happened to be holding a scroll under his arm that he could refer to those verses when he quoted them to that crowd in that moment and applied them to the very situation they just saw? What an example for us. Paul's, excuse me, Peter's impromptu, Holy Spirit-inspired, uh, Holy Spirit-inspired sermon is golden when it comes to how to share our faith. So let's observe no less than 12 essentials in the text. And if you find more, by all means, go ahead and email them to me. I'd love to hear what you're finding in the text as well. By no means is this an exhaustive list that I'm going to give today. So let's begin in verse 13 today. It says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. Here's essential number one when it comes to sharing our faith. We have to be honest about sin. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Many of you know that verse and have quoted it many times. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glory. When we share the Gospel, when we talk to people about Christ, we have to be clear on this point of sin. Humbly clear. No one likes to talk about sin. But this is a conversation that is mandated of the church. 
Without a realization of sin, there can be no realization of forgiveness. Without depth of sin, there can be no depth of salvation. Without grief and sorrow, there can be no celebration and joy. John Newton's hymn that talked about God's amazing grace is so glorious because it acknowledges that God saved who? A wretch like me. I was lost. I was blind. When we have opportunity to speak to others about Christ, we must be honest about sin if, we're, if we are to even have a chance at leading them to Christ. The verse continues. Peter says, a fact to which we are witnesses. Peter says, I saw the prince of life put to death. I saw him raised from the dead. I know this is true. What gospel sharing essential do we find in that short phrase? Number two, share your personal testimony. This is so powerful, so necessary and essential for effective evangelism. You and I are eyewitnesses, quote-unquote, of salvation. We've experienced it. We're still experiencing it. Personal testimony carries great weight. If a friend comes up to you and says, hey, if you, you ought to try that, uh, that new hardwood smoked premium peppered bacon that Costco just came out with. What would your instant reply be? What would my instant reply be? Oh, really? T tell me more about it. How is it? Can you imagine if that person were to say, no, I just saw it in an ad. I've never tasted it. I mean, their recommendation would just about lose all of its value. But when a friend says, we just bought the best bacon we have ever had in our life at Costco. There's no more conversation needed. We're already on the way, right? <clears throat> I take this very temporal example to highlight the essential truth in verse 15. A fact to which we are witnesses. It's hard to argue personal testimony. Someone can't say, no, you didn't experience that. No, you didn't feel that. No, you didn't think that. No, it didn't help you. You can't argue personal testimony. When we share our faith, it should be wrapped in, I've experienced it. That's why I'm telling you. Telling someone, God can change your life, absent the truth of, and He's already changed mine, is of very little convincing value. This is why Revelation 12, verse 11 carries so much weight. It says, They overcame Him. That is Satan, the evil one. They overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. What do you have in that verse? A death-defying testimony based on the blood of the Lamb. Christ's sacrifice on Calvary for our salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. There's another point of personal testimony that we find here and why it's so vital. <coughs> Excuse me. Another point is that it drives believers to authenticity. 
This is a truth that's been hitting home in my own heart more just over the past year. When I share my faith, it demands that I be sincere. It demands that I be convinced. It demands that I be experiencing it. Are we peddling something we heard about or read about in the Bible as Paul condemned in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? Or are we proclaiming something life-changing that we have personally found to be absolutely true? Let's continue in verse 16. And on the basis of faith in His name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Truth number three, emphasize faith in Jesus' name. Now we know this to be true, but look how true it is. Faith is required. No less than three times in this single sentence, Peter points to Jesus. There is no mistaking, no missing the Jesus factor, the power factor, and the healing factor. Even greater than the healing of this man's legs, Jesus has the power to heal your soul. And it's by grace through faith that we are saved. Ephesians 2.8 Countless Scriptures point to the faith factor. I love Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Just around the corner here in Acts 4.12, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Faith recognizes that this is a spiritual matter. You can't literally see and touch these truths. 2 Corinthians 5.7 We walk by faith, not by sight. At some point, what we believe rests in faith. No matter what religion we affiliate with, no matter, what, no matter whether atheistic or religious, the reality is that none of us can have all of our questions answered. No one is that smart. No one can attain that much knowledge of life and death, let alone eternal life and eternal death. Faith is required, and it must be in the name of Jesus. Verse 17, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. That's one of those verses that I have to hit the brakes and back up and ask myself, what did he just say? This is so needed when we share the Gospel. Essential number four, show mercy. Not pride. Not anger. Not arrogance. Show mercy. Notice here that Peter assumed unintention, if I could use that word. There is a reality often not talked about, and that is the fact that we didn't choose sin. Sin chose us. We were born into it. It's in us by nature. But nevertheless, it's ours. We can't help but follow in the steps of those who've gone before us, as Peter mentioned. 
He doesn't minimize sin. He doesn't skip this point because it's uncomfortable and he's afraid of losing friends and influence. No, Peter brings it with full force, but he accompanies it with mercy. James 2.13 says, Judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May our evangelism be saturated with mercy. Verse 18, But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that His Christ would suffer, He has thus fulfilled. When you and I share Christ with others, number five, affirm God's sovereign plan. One of the most amazing aspects of salvation is that it didn't happen by chance. God didn't wake up one day and say, whoa, we've got a window of opportunity here. Let's take advantage of this. No, Peter references in chapter 2 of Acts, verse 23, the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. That is so powerful. So mind-numbing. That someone that could be so all-knowing and all-powerful as to direct the course of history according to His own will. When we share Christ with those who don't know Him, it's critical that we help them see the big picture. This isn't a random path of spiritual reality that wandered its way into what we know now as the Bible. This marvelous plan was determined in advance by God before the foundations of the world. When we share Christ, affirm the big picture of the unhindered, good, and sovereign will of God at play in the universe. Salvation isn't just about Jesus dying on the cross so you and I can go to heaven. It's also about creation and the entire history of humanity. It's about the future it's about the next life. It's about God's perfectly controlling hand in the entire universe. And one of the most touching, overwhelming aspects of this eternal plan is that God foretold and fulfilled His own Son's suffering for you and for me. This is all part of God's perfect plan. Verse 19, Therefore, Seeing all of this to be true, therefore, repent and return. Gospel sharing essential number six. Call for change. Notice what Peter didn't say. He didn't ask, so what do you think? Don't you want to believe and ask Jesus into your heart? No, he called for life change. He called for faith. A full-fledged 180 degree turn from sin to God. Christian friend, you and I have the authority of God and the humble responsibility to call people to repentance. Not just to believe, but also to repentance. One cannot turn to God without turning from sin. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins. 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a big if at the beginning of that verse. That is an essential if. Listen to how Jesus put it in Luke 13, verse 3. I tell you, we love those three words. When Jesus says, I'm the one saying this, there is such added weight to what is about to come. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow about His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to what? Repentance. A gospel with belief, yet without repentance, is no gospel at all. When we share Christ, we call for change. We call for repentance. A turn from sin and a turn to God. A return to God. Verse 19 continues. This is one of those beautiful portions of this text. Why should a person want to repent and return? So that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. Gospel sharing essential number seven, share the benefits. Among others, Peter listed three right off the bat here. Your sins will be wiped away. Refreshing will come. You will be a participant in God's great plan. Peter was ready with the benefits. Now, we're not going to get into exactly what the times of refreshing are this morning. Or we're not going to get into exactly what the period of restoration of all things is. Whether these refer to the millennial reign of Christ on earth, which I believe they certainly include, or whether they refer to the New Jerusalem, which I believe it also defines very well. The point is, your sins will be wiped away. You will be refreshed by God's presence. And Jesus will come at the appointed time and restore all things. Every believer will perfectly experience all three of those things. The main concern isn't, what exactly are they? The main question is, will you experience them? God knows exactly what He's talking about here. And that's really all that matters. Those are His promises. They're perfectly what we need. They will come exactly when we need them they will be fulfilled. Listen just to a couple more related Scriptures. Hosea 6.3 So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. Have you ever wondered if the sun would rise tomorrow? No. That's how certain the going forth of God is. And He will come to us like the rain like the spring rain watering the earth. What timely Scriptures. The refreshing May rains 
have fallen this past week. The grass is so green. New life is budding all around us. How much more refreshing is Christ and will be Christ when He comes to us in the fullness of all His glory? What about Romans, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 7? Let these, let these verses just wash over you. This is one of the promises that will be perfectly fulfilled for all of God's children, all who repent and believe in faith. Revelation 21, verse 3 says, Then I saw, got an eyewitness here, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, telling John, Write, for these things, these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give, listen to this, I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. Can you believe that God loves you, loves me, loves all of His children so much that He will do that for us. Is your heart overwhelmed this morning that the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, gives to the one who thirsts from the springs of water of life without cost? That's how great God's love is for you and me. That's how wonderful his glory is. The last verse in Revelation there says, verse 7, he, will he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be His God and He will be My Son. Believers have such an inheritance awaiting for them. Are you and I well versed in what that inheritance is? Christian friend, how well do you and I know the benefits of faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior? If we don't know that list that Scripture is so clear with throughout all the pages of Scripture, New and Old Testament, if we don't know that list very well, it's near impossible to appreciate it, let alone share it with someone else. In your small groups, one of your questions, assignments is, is to discuss the benefits and the blessings of your salvation. Savor that discussion you have this week. Verse 22, 
Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. Number eight, attribute proper authorship. This is a big one. In simpler 21st century terms, when we talk about Christ with others, we have to make sure we don't come across as selling our view of religion, our perspective. If a person concludes, well, whatever works for you, I'm happy for you, then I am going to be really hard on myself and just assume that I must have sold them my version of Christianity. No, this is God's message. This is what God says in the Bible. It was God who raised up Jesus, His Son, a leader like Moses. Only this leader calls for adherence, for obedience, for belief in everything He says. That's the Holy One, the Messiah that God is referring to right here. Let us never forget that it is His message, God's message that we are sharing. Here's another very closely related essential for witnessing that we get from verse 22. Number nine, call for obedience. What does the verse say? Give heed to everything He tells you. We won't dwell on these final few points for the sake of time, but the truth is so clear and straightforward. Belief will be accompanied by faith, will be accompanied by repentance, will be accompanied by obedience. They all come together. They're a complete package. Just like it's not a car if it doesn't have an engine, so it's not belief if it doesn't have obedience. The book of James speaks emphatically to this point. You've heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? There's one that comes before that. What does Jesus say? When we share Christ, we are calling a person, we are inviting a person, we are urging an individual to consider and believe everything Jesus says. Again, it's not my religion or my perspective or what I just chose to believe. It's God's as revealed in the pages of His holy Scriptures. Verse 23, And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Gospel sharing essential number 10, share the warnings and dangers. Friends, it's okay to lovingly and humbly ask, do you know what the Bible says will happen if you don't believe? Matter of fact, I'd propose that it's not the Gospel if we don't share the answer to that question. Again, what did Jesus say in Luke 13.3? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable 
and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Just as we believers need to know our list of benefits, we need to know our list of warnings and dangers in order to appreciate and accurately share our great salvation. Two final essentials. Verse 24. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. Here's an interesting one. Gospel sharing essential number 11. Affirm the prophecies. Make the case for the Gospel. This is good apologetics. How many of us include the major and minor prophets in our Romans road? Is Isaiah 53 part of our well-prepared, ready-to-give-an-answer presentation of the hope that lies within us? Affirm the prophecies. Again, this, goes, this, this points back to verifying the big picture. Make the case for the veracity of the Gospel. It is no small thing that for hundreds and even thousands of years prior, the life and work of Jesus Christ was foretold. We have nothing else like that kind of prophecy recorded in the history of humanity. Make the case for the Gospel. Have that answer ready. Affirm the prophecies. Verse 25, here's our final point. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is what we refer to as what? The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. This is a blessing that, that would come, then it would impact all the families of the earth for good. And what was that blessing? Verse 26. For you first... God raised up His servant and sent Him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Number 12, make the promise personal. Verse 25 begins with this. It is you. Verse 26 begins with, for you first. The point is, this is about you. God cares for you. Jesus died for you. His victory over sin is offered to you. You have the opportunity to believe. Yes, this is all about God's glory. But in the same token, you and I have the privilege by God's choice, by God's goodness, by God's power of being a part of His glory. He wants to bless you and turn you from your wicked ways. We learn from texts like this in Scripture that even evil is personal. It's easy to talk about evil in the general sense. But our salvation isn't about general evil in the world. It's about the evil in us. That's why God raised up His servant Jesus and sent Him to bless us with repentance and faith and forgiveness of sins. The grace to turn us from our wicked ways. We are spared the consequences of sin 
which according to Romans 6.23, is death. We die because we're sinners. If you're not familiar with these spiritual truths, this is one of the great spiritual truths. Every human being dies because they are a sinner. That is the curse that God brought upon humanity because of sin. We all die. And in the eternal sense as well, Scripture teaches us that we are also condemned to die and receive the just punishment of hell forever because we're all sinners. But aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't end there? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.57 Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Friend, if you're studying God's Word with us today, you're watching on the live stream, and you don't understand what it means to be forgiven, what it means to be made a child of God, and to have the sure hope of eternal life in heaven with the holy God who created you and loves you and is willing to redeem you. If you don't understand these things, I trust that our study and God's Word has shed some good light on these realities for you. And I would fail my own study if I didn't make it personal. As your friend, as a pastor who cares very deeply about your spiritual well-being, especially your well-being after this life, the eternal well-being, as a friend and as a pastor, I urge you to be honest about your sin. We're all in the same boat. We are all sinners who deserve the penalty of sin. Anything less would be unjust. God is too perfect to not deliver justice in its perfection. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't end with a just God judging all sinners. He provided a Savior, a substitute. And that substitute was His own perfect Son, Jesus Christ, who took our place. Do you understand that's a big part of what Christianity is about? God took our place. Jesus took our place. He took our judgment when He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He took the penalty for you and for me. And that forgiveness is available to all who will believe. And so today, I call you, I urge you to repent of your sins, to confess and forsake them, to repent and put your faith in Jesus. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Believe every word He says in the Scriptures. Instead of making self the ruler of your life, humble yourself and run to God and acknowledge that you want Jesus to be your Lord, your Savior. Turn and obey Christ instead of self. That is the great dilemma. That is the great dividing line. Who will rule? Scripture says, if you repent and believe, your sins will be wiped away. Ponder that.
you'll be declared innocent. You will have no guilt when you stand before God in heaven. Scripture says your sins will be wiped away. Times of refreshing will come like you have never experienced before. You will become a part of the family of God. You will be on the right side of destiny. The right side, the hopeful side, the promised side of eternity. But remember the words of Jesus. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The Bible says that hell is real. God created it to judge sin forever. Much of the whole book of Revelation is devoted to warning humanity of the dangers to come. An unparalleled, inescapable, unbearable, eternal judgment. To say that whether to believe or not to believe is the most important decision a person can make in their entire lifetime is the understatement of the millennia. Heaven or hell, forgiveness or sin, life or death. God gives us this choice. John 3, verses 16 to 18 say it so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. There's the warning. There's the danger. But have eternal life. There's the benefit. There's the blessing. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Do you understand that the life of Jesus Christ is the greatest rescue attempt ever made? And it was successful. He came that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you haven't believed, I urge you to believe today. And if you do, if you decide to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ, to repent and turn from sin. It's not that you'll never sin again. It's that you run from sin. You turn from it. You turn from self. You repent. You believe in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to believe everything He says. It means to believe the Bible. To acknowledge it as true. To make it the truth that rules your life. If you pray and acknowledge these things before God today, if you believe, know that your sins have instantly been wiped away. The times of refreshing are about to come like you have never experienced before, and you are fully in the family of God. If you believe, I ask you, let me know. Let one from our church know. Let one of our pastors know. You can contact us through the guest form on the website. Call me. Please let us come and celebrate your new life with you. Let us welcome you into the family of God and join us as we support one another, as we encourage, as we build each other up for the, the journey that God has given us now for the rest of this life. 
as not only sons and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords, but as ambassadors of Jesus. As those who are called to, to share the truth with others. This becomes your life endeavor now if you believe. Christian friends, what more can I say? Celebrate your salvation. Know your salvation. Share your salvation. That's the game plan during quarantine and beyond. It never changes. I trust that we have all been inspired and encouraged and challenged and educated by Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 3. His sermon ends there, but the story continues. Things are just getting going. The first four verses of chapter 4 introduce our study for next week. And they also wrap up our study for this week. Let me read them as we close. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them. That is to Peter and John in this group sitting there. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. And here's what I want to highlight as we close today. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'll take even one. We'll rejoice. All of heaven will rejoice. The angels will sing if even one walks through the gates of eternal life and forgiveness of sin today. I pray that if there is even one who longs to know more, Lord, open their spiritual eyes. Give them the strength and the courage. Give them the divine strength and courage to say, I believe. I repent. Lord, how we rejoice at the salvation You have given us. We aren't just quoting a book. We aren't just quoting a religion. We are sharing what we have personally experienced. Lord, I pray that this day and going forward, we believers will be diligent to know the gospel-sharing essentials. We will be diligent to know the benefits, the blessings, as well as the warnings and the dangers. Help us to be so inspired, so overcome with the reality of our wonderful salvation that we cannot help but proclaim it when the opportunities arise. Lord, help us to be a people who will jump at even the smallest opportunity to praise God and to speak His truth into the lives of those who are around us. Thank You that as we go forward, we don't have to worry about whether or not we'll have the strength or the wisdom to say the right words, to do the right thing. Lord, we rest in the power of Your Holy Spirit. You are the one who gives grace for there to even be faith. And so we praise You for that. We claim that in the name of Jesus afresh this morning. Thank You for Your love and the gift of salvation. And all God's people said, Amen.